Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Scotland Rugby League podcast, brought to you by McEwens. I'm your host, James Parsons, and today I'm delighted to be joined by head coach Nathan Graham. Nathan has been a part of the Scotland setup for a number of years, having been a player in the 90s and early noughties, and is now the head coach of the senior team and the students team. Thank you for coming on today. How have you been? Yeah, I'm all right, thanks. Uh, you've, you've caught me at a, a good time. I've just got up from my night shift, so you've, you've probably catch me a little bit rusty, but we'll, we'll get through it, I guess. Yeah, and you've been quite busy during all of this. I mean, can you tell us a bit about what your day job is? Yeah, so my, my day job is uh, I'm a, what's called an operating department practitioner. So we, we work in theatres. Uh, we look after all the anaesthetic machines. We we look after the, the airway type stuff for patients, uh, drips. Um, we position patients for the, for the specific type of surgery that they need. But at the moment, that's uh, all been stopped off apart from uh, emergencies and acute stuff. So we've all been redeployed to to ICU to help out down there because it's uh, it's been a bit overrun over the last few months, but hopefully calming down a little bit now. Mm. I mean, so during the height of everything, how how was it for you mentally? Um, yeah, it's quite mentally challenging because uh, first of all, the long shifts, uh, you're looking at probably 13-hour shifts when, when it's all said and done. Uh, also, um, yeah, you've got the added aspect of all the PPE with the respirators on and, and the, the pressure to keep yourself clean as, before you even start looking after the other patients uh, who are poorly. So it's, you know, you're, you're all constantly checking yourself and and after after four hours before you've had your first break, you, your face is um, it's, it's pretty messed up it sounds a bit soft but it, you know it is harsh on the the old skin especially when you get it up towards 50 years old mm. uh but on moving on with patient wise that yeah there's been some pretty sick people and uh, it has been difficult and deaths do occur as well so there's that to deal with us um but you know no no one's ever going to get used to that but it, it is part and parcel of our job at the end of the day so we do our best for for the patients for you know, both, you know, when they're getting better and, and when they are deteriorating and unfortunately some people don't make it, but if they don't, we, we still do our best for them and, and make sure that they get, they get the best care, you know, at the end of life as well. Yeah. I mean, have you found that your, your sort of sporting background has helped, helped with the, the medical work, sort of in terms of the, the teamwork and the work ethic behind those sort of 13-hour shifts? Yeah, I, th- I think so. In a way, in a way, not not just myself, but everybody there, because the the, the theatre staff, we, we got some some sort of training, albeit you know quite rushed, and uh, ICU and theatres. Although you you're dealing with patients, you're dealing with ventilated patients. It, it's all very different. So both both sets of of teams have come together really well. So and we have gelled really well, and I think that's. Probably why, you know, we, we've had some successes and, and, and people are helping each other out and patients have come through the other side because we've kind of knitted together and ICU staff have given us their their input and we've given them our, our input and we've, we've done really well. 
Yeah, and I mean the sort of public response to the NHS has, you know, I think, really signalled that hard work. I mean, when when you're sort of not on the ward, I mean, do you notice things like the clapping on a Thursday night that was going on, or or, or do you more sort of get on with it? Yeah, well, I, I, my my shift started at seven, and I think the the clapping started around about that time on on a Thursday. So I, I always miss that, but. Uh, every Thursday, if you look out the window at ICU, you can see the entrance to Bradford Royal where I'm working, and uh, right at the height of it, all all the emergency services vehicles were pulling up, uh, police, fire, um, and sirens going, uh, lights flashing, everybody out clapping. It was quite emotional actually. It was it was good to see. Yeah. Yeah. I can, yeah. I can imagine. Um, and have you been managing to keep yourself busy when you've not been at work? Um, my garden's like a new pin. We've we've gone through it from top to bottom, basically. <laughs> we've had, luckily we've had nice weather, so we've been uh, cracking on with a bit of gardening, tidying up, and doing bits and bats, uh, having barbecues. Like I said, the, the weather's been really nice over over the lockdown period, so I can't imagine what it had been like. For the kids, especially if you know if it had been as the weather is now for the for the previous twelve weeks, because I think that they'd have probably killed each other by now. But it's been lucky that we've been able to get out in the garden and and chill out a little bit, yeah, which you know you need a bit of downtime when you've been doing those sort of shifts, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And so we on on social media we we put out a couple of posts um, towards the end of last week asking for. Um, questions about about you. Yeah. Um, the the first one we had was, what what's your connection to Scotland, and how did you first get involved with playing for the national side? Yeah, my connection to Scotland is is through through heritage with my, my grandparentage, um, and basically uh, it was nineteen ninety eight when when I made my debut, and Scotland was kind of in its in its infancy then. So uh, they, they were actively looking for players and uh, I, I put my hand up. Then uh, the, the coach was Billy McGinty, the Wigan legend that is. Um, and, it, you know, it was a good good few years under Billy. Uh, and George, George Fairburn as well, uh, the old Hulk Air fullback and former Scotland international, he was the manager. It was, it was a good set-up and uh, just really enjoyed it straight away. It was like a real sort of family feel about it and uh, everyone knitted, knitted in together and uh, we had some good times and some good performances as well. Yeah, so uh, that leads into one of the, the other questions we got, which was what what was your, sort of, some of your greatest memories when you were a player? Uh, playing for Scotland, the, my, my greatest memory is captaining the, the team for a mini European tournament in 2004, which and and actually we, we played uh, Ireland away just north of Dublin, and, and that uh, was to be my last game as a professional rugby player. So, you know, if I if I was going to finish, I can't think of any better better game to finish on than captain in your country. Uh, yeah, I've had some amazing times in Scotland, uh, both on the field and off the field. So, you know, it's, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, and and. Um... 
sort of touched on off the field there. Um, how, how did you first get involved in in the coaching setup, sort of after retiring from playing? Yeah, um, I, I first started coaching when when the when the uh, club structure in Scotland was was a bit stronger. Uh, probably two thousand six. Uh, I started coaching the the A, the A side, which was made up of, of amateur players. Um, I coached them for a few years, and we we ended up uh, beating England in in England for the first time ever, which was a, a massive achievement for for the, for those group of people because uh, you know compared to to England, there's no rights. We we should have gone to London and, and won, but we did. We put in a massive stint and everyone gelled together really well it was a great weekend and and we got we got the result um yeah uh, after that I've, uh, uh, i helped out uh, john duffy with the students um quite a few years probably six years ago now in the student uh, four nations it was uh, in nottingham uh, and then f- after that I've, I've been the head coach for the for the students for the last probably five years, um, which has incorporated some, some great times. And I enjoy that aspect, not not just coaching elite people. I enjoy coaching uh, people that are still learning the game and, and up and coming and, and, and trying to better them with their skills. And you know, a lot of the, 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 the rugby in, in, in Scotland is uh, people trying out the game, you know, maybe trying, trying from union or trying from scratch. And and if they are, you know, the, the, there's a lot to learn in in a short space of time, and I, I enjoy that aspect of it as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, because I was I was talking to um, Murray Mitchell uh, a few weeks ago, and he said that when he yeah. first started playing it, I think it was the uh, the nines. Um, yeah, he said right. he, yeah. he he said that you, well, he he thought that you instantly knew that you hadn't been playing much league, and I mean mm. when there's those guys that have come from a relatively high standard of union to play league, mm. what sort of skills do you look to teach them like first off? And, and also what, what things do you see from the union players that you perhaps don't see from people that have just played league? Yeah. It, it, people think it's, it's, it's an oval shaped ball and you, know, you can flip between, between the cores, but you can't. Um, Moses bit of an exception because it is he's he can play back row or he can play centre he's quite skillful got good footwork and actually is a is quite a smart kid and he was playing for Strathmore still the backs at the time so he, he did have a little bit of an insight into the into the game but it, it, it's a, a lot of people say that if, if you're back in rugby union or rugby league you, you have a better chance of converting either either way I think forwards in in union are quite Specific in their roles, uh, as opposed to to league, and and I think the transition from from code to code for forwards is a, is a little bit more difficult. Um, but yeah, like like uh, Murray Murray's a, f- a fine example of of uh, what what we we potentially could do in Scotland rugby league is is try and try and tap into that union market and and try and encourage people to co- to come and have a go. Uh, you know. I know there's there's an overlap of seasons for winter and summer, but if you know if we can tap in and, and get some, even three or three or four, real real good union players, and and that's 
quite pertinent actually because the um, the domestic player rule, especially in the European champ, not some not for the World Cup but for the European Championships, they they're trying to increase the number of domestic players in your squad year on year. So we we need to find a way to get domestic players up up to a level where they they can be put into that first team squad of twenty twenty two players. Yeah. And I mean, sort of touching on that a, a bit. Um, what what do you get from your involvement personally with coaching both the students and the senior teams? Yeah, I get like like I say it's it's a totally different environment. Um, when I first uh, turned up from the first session with the senior team, the, one of the first things I said is. I can't. I can't teach any of you to play rugby league. Uh, the majority of you are playing in either Super League or, or Championship, and have been around a long time. You know, with those type of people, it's more like getting your your, your structures right and and kind of build it, building a team bond and a building a work ethic and and that sort of thing. But with with the students or or any of the under nineteen type people, you 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 are basically teaching aspects of the game to people and, and I think that that's the that's the major difference you, you're not fine tweaking things to suit your team or, or suit an opposition you, you're actually not necessarily teaching core skills but teaching principles really and, and try and get get people to, to play the game right and 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 kind of you know in aspects of rook play or, or marker play that people might not be au fait with that if they're coming from union obviously they don't have markers and, and that sort of system so they, they need to learn that and that, that's quite a, one of the major sort of cruxes of, of the game is, is being tight around the around the rook and winning rooks and, and that sort of thing so you know like I say it's it's teaching more more basically than, than at elite level with the students mm. in 19s, I guess. Yeah, yeah but I, I suppose it's good to still be able to do both. It is, yeah. And like, like I, I really enjoy t- teaching the, the students or, or the or younger people. And uh, I, I help out with my lads' team locally and, I, and purely and simply because I enjoy that. It's, you know... Yeah, and I mean, you know, some of those players. I mean, it was particularly in 2018 with the Commonwealth Nines Students Four Nations, and then the European Championships that there were quite a few, quite a few players that sort of played throughout the year in all of those. Um, yeah, how how do you yeah. feel sort of as the coach? I mean, you weren't senior team coach then, but seeing those players go from that sort of pathway of not really yeah. having played it to playing senior. Yeah, that well, that's the thing that that's. The kind of thing, like I sort of touched on with the domestic player role, that what what we're trying to develop is is a, a genuine pathway from under sixteens, well, even even people getting into schools, uh, under sixteens, under nineteens, students, um, trying to develop a, a Scotland A again uh, for for people when they've finished or you know moved out of uni. Um, to, but to continue playing in the Scotland setup if it's not at first team level, uh, the, the, I think there needs to be that that progression through 
in order to fulfil the 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 criteria of domestic players in your squad, really. So you know that without a a, a strong club structure in Scotland, we need to do something to to develop players and and bring them through so that like the, the, like I said that so they can slot into that first team squad if if necessary. Yeah, and uh, I mean, from the sort of uh, the tweaky sort of senior team perspective, do you think in the long term it will help your job if you know there's more players like I mean, people like Nick Glow and Matt Hogg that have sort of been playing in the Scotland setup for a long time, but can sort of carry it on and play you know starting in the first team? Yeah, I, th- I think there's there's that there's of it. Well, if, first and for if you if you're playing for your country, it's a massive honour and, and and but with with, with Scotland, it, it, there's a definite sort of feel about it where you know no one no one's treated any better than anyone else. So if you're an under 16s player or a first team player, you know everyone's treated the same, and to, so you you get that kind of family feel and 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 a buy in together, uh, which is why we're we're trying to. Uh, keep running some well <laughs> before all this lockdown happened. We we ran a fantastic uh, day. There was the the women's team, uh, the under 16s team, the under 19s team, and the students uh, all up in Edinburgh at Peffermill on, on the same day. And that the idea was was to have more of those days so that people can get that get that Scotland feel and get that buy in and you know and, and move on and be be proud to play for Scotland and be involved in Scotland and, and, and move on to better things. Yeah, because um, that, that actually was one of my, my first days involved with Scotland. Yeah, and you, right, sort yeah. of, you sort of um, pretty quickly uh, see see what it's all about, um, which I think is a strength of it. Um, mm. Another another question that came from the social media, was, which is fairly related to what we've been talking about, but where do you see the SRL in sort of five years' time? Um, that's a big question. Um, uh, I would, well, I think first of all we we need to try and raise our profile a little bit um, with it within Scotland, so that you know that people are we can attract those players that we were talking about earlier. Uh, which is a big thing as, as well as you know I know that the idea is to get people to come through but before those players are ready who are coming through from under 19s under 16s um, we could do with you know seeing you know talked about it before getting get the the some elite union players so there's some good club rugby in Scotland uh, like if we can just uh, not not poach but uh, get some of those involved. And then, like I say, Murray, like I say, Murray Mitchell's a, the obvious um, sort of example, and and there's a, there'll be plenty of more like him. There's a, there's a guy that uh, played for the students last last year called Chris Jollins. Uh, he's he was a a, a flanker in Union. He absolutely killed the, the tournament and ended up winning our our player of the tournament award. Um, so we just need to find a couple more of those. Um, yeah, I, th- I think in- investment's always a thing, and it, it, I know 
if we can raise raise our profile, you, you tend to raise your investment opportunities as well. And if, if we can do that, then then you know maybe you know we can we can become a little bit better and a, a little bit uh, more self sustainable. And then then there's there's the the aspect of the domestic league as well. Um, like I, I talked about earlier, where when I coached the Scotland A team, the the, the the domestic league was quite strong at that time. Quite quite a few clubs knocking around. Um, I know there's, now there's the Edinburgh Eagles and and Glasgow and one or two more. But uh, if if we could potentially grow that again, and and that's that's another way. For your, for your domestic players to play rugby league week in week out instead of just just building up for a tournament, at least the the, the practicing week in week out, uh, I I get there's a financial implication to that and there's there's also um a, a geographical problem with that where there's southern teams playing northern teams, for example, Glasgow playing. Uh, the the Aberdeen team it, it's a it's a long trek and it and it's very costly for for transport as well so whether whether there's a kind of a, a split league a northern league and a and a southern league is I don't know that's something that's been talked about before um, yeah but I think there's a lot to think about uh, building up for the next five years yeah definitely for building up for the for the twenty twenty five World Cup if that's going to take place yeah. Mm. I mean, another question was was pretty closely related to that, actually. Um, someone asked, when will a Scottish team join the league structure in England? Um, I mean, obviously, sort of, I think, saying that it would, it would be good to build a domestic game here. But, I mean, do you think teams like Edinburgh will will try and, you know, make it through the leagues in England? I mean, I think the question was particularly in relation to looking at the Canadian teams that are growing at the moment. Yeah, uh, you know that that would be fantastic, wouldn't it? It would. Um, again, it 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 boils down to to investment, I guess. Uh, you look at Toronto; the, the the guy there's got an unlimited resource in terms of finance uh, to to buy basically any player in the world, Sonny Bill Williams included. Um, I'm not sure we've got anyone like that in Scotland at the moment who's willing to put their hand up and. And finance uh, a, a professional rugby league team, which you know it's it's going to cost uh, a lot a lot of money per year. Um, but yeah, if if that could come off, uh, it'd be amazing. Then I don't know, is either Edinburgh or Glasgow would would be fantastic cities to to host a rugby league team, and, and I'm I'm pretty sure that they'd, they'd get the crowds as well. Hmm. Yeah. Our, um, our, our, the next question came from a former mm. Toronto player, um, Ryan Briley. Right. <laughs> who's yeah. your favourite halfback in the Scotland team? I, know. I knew that was coming up. Um, my my, my favourite halfback in the Scotland team is Scott Morell, because even though he's not actually a player, he's still in the Scotland team. And I'm pretty sure that even... Uh, even at his age, he could still uh, still give uh, Ryan Briley a run for his money. Yeah, actually, Scott gets ribbed for his um, his uh, 
should I say lack of physique. But actually, in, the, in this lockdown, he's lost 10 kilos, so he's, he's looking pretty trim now. Um, but no, uh, <laughs> on the, all, listen, all, all, our, all our players are, are absolutely fantastic. And they've got a real good team spirit. Uh, the WhatsApp group's really good for keeping people in touch, you know, especially in, in these sort of times where we've got no face-to-face contact. Um, but yeah, Ryan, Ryan does his job really, really well. Um, as, as does uh, Callum McClelland, who, who won Player of the Year last year. Uh, was a, a cracking young, uh, young up-and-coming player. Uh, also, we've got Hoggy, who, who unfortunately is he's uh, had a nasty accident playing for his uni, and he's is is on the road to recovery with a with a nasty foot injury. Uh, hopefully, he'll be back on the pitch sooner rather than later as well. Mm. Have you been obviously because you've been quite busy, but have you been in contact with the players much during all this? Uh, yeah, a little bit. We've, we've got, like I said, we've got the WhatsApp group and I've spoke to a few people uh, around what, what they're doing now and what, what they're doing to keep fit with, you know, what, what sort of programmes have they got given from their own clubs and and things, yeah. So it's just we we were supposedly building up to, to the Euros in, in October in uh, this year, you know, before the World Cup next year, but... We've we've kind of resigned ourselves to the fact that that's not going to happen. It's it's not nothing's been announced officially as yet, but uh, I think it will be difficult to get it on, given the fact that if Super League restarts, they're going to be cramming a lot of games in into a short space space of time. Uh, same with same with Championship. So that that I think the clubs are less likely, and and rightly so, to to release the players for for international duty. Um, uh, it's potentially players are going to be playing th- three games in two weeks or or something like that. So you know, to to add an international tournament on top of that, it's it's going to be a pretty big ask, to be fair. And yeah, and that and that's without negotiating the the, the travel aspects uh, with with Italy away, and then France has got to come to to Scotland to play us. So you know, the the, the travel aspects still up in the air as well. So it, it might be that 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 gets. Uh, on the back burner for this year but like I say nothing's been said officially yet and do you think there's I mean if if, if the sort of Super League and maybe the, the part-time players are uh, ruled out do you think there's any room for uh, potentially looking at a, like Scotland A fixtures in in sort of in lieu of that yeah I'm, I'm not sure but, uh, what, what we were using these Euros for was a, a, a genuine build-up process for the for the World Cup, so uh, anyone who we, we wanted to be involved in the World Cup would would be invited to play in, in the Euros and and the warm up game before that. Um, so I'm you know as good as it would be to get some time on the park and get everyone together, it wouldn't really serve its purpose for what we had in mind for it. Where you know if, if you you haven't got those players available who uh, playing next year, then then what's the point? It's it's that sort of conundrum, really. Uh, it wouldn't for, for what we for what we were using it for, it that it wouldn't serve its purpose. So I'm I'm not sure. You know, I like the I like the idea of of uh, getting games together and and 
like like was harped on about before, you know, getting domestic players more more game time would be a good thing. But I'm I'm not sure what sort of aspect we'd we'd get that on the park actually. Mm. I mean, touching on the the World Cup. I mean, obviously, assuming the Euros don't happen, and um, I mean, how how do you, how have you found sort or find preparing for a World Cup when you're not the you're not a coach full time, whereas you know I think you know Mal Meninga will be in his office mm. all day while you're in <laughs> hospital. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, well. I've got I've got plenty of time off in in, in between my my I do four nights away. I've got plenty of time off in you know in between those four nights to to have a look at things and plan things. We've already started uh, looking at potential opposition players um, from from Fiji, and we're we're trying to put a, um, a kind of a. Uh, a group of people together in in Australia to try and get a, uh, an idea of who's going to be representing Italy f- uh, f- from in Australia because the, the, there's there's quite a lot of uh, talk about most of the Italian team being made up from uh, not NRL players but, but but maybe people from the Newcastle comp and, and you know the, the 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 competition under under NRL. Um, so we're we're trying to get a get an idea of who those people might be, so we can do a bit of research on them and uh, see what type of players there are uh, out there for them. Um, yeah, but it's it, it's quite difficult uh, in that in that respect, especially with Italy. With with the with the Aussies and the, and the Fijians, you 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 more or less know who you're going to get, but uh, it's, a, it's a bit of a mystery with the with the Italians, so that's why we're trying to do a bit of work around that, so we can, uh, you know, do our homework and have the best chance of getting the result against them. Yeah, I mean, because it, it was it was fairly similar with um, Scotland's fixtures last year. Because I mean, how do you with, with the games against Greece and Serbia? I mean, yeah. when, when you're building up to those games, I think it'll be obviously it'll be different with the World Cup team. But mm. when you're building yeah. up to those games where you don't necessarily know. The standard of the opposition, or mm. who they'll yeah, actually exactly, have yeah. on the pitch. Yeah. How how do you yeah. prepare for them? Well, that, how did it for for the World Cup qualifiers? Was um, as as soon as the well, we, we knew that both the Serbian team and the Greece team were, were you know they were going to pack the squads with uh, with some Australian players. So as soon as their teams were announced. Um, I got on to some people in Australia, um, trolled YouTube for for the, that's the beauty of things these days. People can put their the clips on YouTube all the time. So if you get a name in a club and type it into YouTube, sometimes you you'll come up with someone's highlight reel, uh, and so you can have a look at them that way around. Uh, so that that was quite handy actually. Uh, as well for the Greek people, uh, a lot I think. In, in terms of class of Australian player, I think the, the Greeks had the, the better quality players. Uh, some some are from the NRL and, and it was uh, a little easier to, to try and get all the information about them. But uh, you do have to go digging and you do have to call in favours on people on the other side of the world to try and uh, find out 
what people are like and, and that sort of thing. So, yeah, it's, it, it is doable. Hmm. And, and is there an aspect of when you don't have quite as much information, it's more about focusing on yourself as well to a degree? Yeah, there is that, yeah. I, I, th- I think that's... That's what we had as a as a buy-in for last year. You know, if if we if we played how we wanted to play and, and we did the right things and and looked after ourselves, then you know the 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 people in the opposition squads give or take a, a couple of players in the Greek team. That none of those players that have got in our team. So you know, if we looked after ourselves, did the right things, prepared correctly, uh, we we'd get the result. Yeah. Mm. Um. Well, I've got a couple more social questions from social media. Yes. Um, who've who've been some of the the best Scotland players that you've been able to both play with and coach? Um, players. Well, um, there's been quite a few. I would say that the best player I've played with for Scotland was Adrian Valls. Um, he played in the two thousand World Cup and also I think he played two thousand might have played two thousand and one, two thousand and two, potentially. Don't quote me on that. Uh, what what a top guy as well. Uh, really nice bloke. Uh, really really professional. Did all the right things. Uh, and real and tough cookie as well and a great player. Uh, uh, who else? Without bigging him up. Duffs, Duffs was a great player. He was, uh, at the time, I think he might still be the, the youngest player ever to be capped by Scotland. Um, and, you know, he, he was class as a halfback. And to, to come into a, an international team at 16 years years old and, and play how he did uh, for quite a few years, it, you know, it's a testament to the guy he is. You know, he's a nice bloke. And uh, who else? Uh, there's quite a few. Another, another ex-Warrington, Lee Penny, fullback. Uh, another tough guy and an absolute joker off the field as well. What a joker! <laughs> we, had, we had some good times. <laughs> yeah, we did have some good. Uh, it, the the trouble was you had Duffs, Lee Penny, and Mike Wainwright, all from Warrington, and just ripping, ripping it out of everybody constantly, twenty four seven. On whenever we were away, we <laughs> all it all made for a good trip though. Yeah, yeah. As well as as well as well as getting results on the pitch, it was it was always a good trip. And who have been some of the players you've enjoyed coaching the most? Um. Oh, for Scotland, there's been quite a, quite a few. Um. Don't know how to start. Wow. Uh. Without being disrespectful to anything else, I would say uh, the whole squad of the 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 World Cup in twenty seventeen in Australia. So we we took twenty players to Australia for the for the World Cup down there, and uh, that that was the the best group of people I've I've been involved in. Uh, we were there for the best probably twenty twenty one days, twenty two days. And uh, everyone was absolutely amazing. No, no issues from anyone off the field. Everybody bought into to everything we were trying to do. The the environment and the, the team spirit was absolutely amazing. 
um, and I think that that's that's one of the main reasons why we did as well as we did. We we finished third, um, and you know it, it was a great experience, um, something I'll never forget really. And and actually, what another question that's sort of uh, related to well halfbacks again. Um, someone asked, mm. do you think Danny Bruff would play for Scotland again? Um, I'm not. I'm not sure he would. Um, listen, uh, Danny's been probably one of the best players for Scotland ever. I would say, um, top bloke. I, I played with him at, at York when he was a, a young kid starting out. Um, great player, fantastic player. Um, I don't know if he's you know is he's getting on now, and he's he's probably got another. Maybe one more Super League season in him. I'm I'm not sure, um. But I think we're at this moment in time. We'd probably be looking to to build for the future, like like we we talked about before. But Ryan's doing a, a great job at halfback. Uh, Callum, uh, it, it was absolutely fantastic to come into the squad last year. How he did and and kind of take that role on and and boss the team around. It you know it was, it was brilliant. I think. It, you know, I, th- I think we're probably looking forward rather than backwards um, at this moment in time. But you, you never say never. But uh, you know, um, like you know, like I said, Dan Danny's has been, if not the best, one of the best Scotland players since since it's it started in nineteen ninety six. So yeah, I. Th- I would say no at this moment in time. And well, I mean, the the next question sort of touches on looking forward. Um, someone asked, "What advice would you give to young players who want to make it to full representative honours?" Um, my advice is is if you're a non-domestic player, my advice is go and get yourself to. Uh, a good club with a good setup. Um, if you if you're a junior, um, if you if you're at League One Championship or um, Super League level or, or or Super League level academy, um, I would get yourself get yourself known to us. Uh, the, Another thing is for for Scotland Rugby League is, is recruitment, and some people slip under the radar at times. Um, so you know, so if if these people are eligible to play play for Scotland, we need to know about that. Um, but you know, to to be an elite player, you know, no no matter uh, what country you're playing for, you you've just got to buy into what your coaches are telling you. You've got to do the right things physically as well. Um, you know, whether it be in the gym, on the park. Uh, you've got to get your skills right. Concentrate on your core skills, and there's a, there's a lot a lot of stuff to take things on board. Um, when I when I was a kid, I, I had the privilege of going to play at North Sydney Bears in 1990. I, I played for their Jersey flag team and uh, reserve grade, and it was an eye opener for me. The at that point in time, the the level of professionalism in Australia was. Far superior to to what it was in you know in the UK, and you know, to being there for for those three or four months that I was there, it kind of showed me what I had to do to 
to try and better myself, to try and be the, the best player I could become. And a lot of it were down to hard work and you know, and work ethic, which is, you know, I, I don't think I was ever the most skillful player in the world, but I, 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 I like to think that I, I had a good work ethic and I, I worked really hard to, to get where I was. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's um, some pretty good advice. I mean, quite a lot of the, we sort of sent questionnaires out to the players and asked for their advice. And yeah, mm. pretty much all of them said, you know, it's hard work over talent in a way. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, you, every, everybody know everybody who's, who's playing at elite level now knows a million people who had all the talent and did nothing with it. it but it's the people who can tie the talent in with the hard work that actually get where they get where they should get to. And that, mm. that they're the they're the the cream of the crop really yeah yeah um the next question actually comes from came from alex um oh, yeah. you say <laughs> uh, if you could change or add one thing to rugby league what would it be and why um change or add one rule um i'm uh, at the minute i'm i'm it's only a few weeks in, but I'm I'm really liking the the zero tackle rule in the NRL for infringements at the ruck. Um, it, I think it speeds the game up, and it, you know, I think if that's probably one thing that that I'd like to be in, introduced into this country, I'm I think that there's it's been muted that it might be. Um, if it does, yeah, I, th- I think that any anything to keep the game flowing, you know. Less less stoppages. It, you know, it, not only is it you get more action for your supporters, but it, you know, it also puts a lot of, puts more pressure on players as well. So players have got to be fitter and fitter and fitter if the game's getting quicker and quicker. So you, you, you know, there's a there's an opportunity there to to try and wheedle out the people who, as a, as a as a coach, you you look for people tiring on the pitch and. You know, see if you can get at them and, and put them under pressure. So, you know, with, with the game speeding up and little things to speed the game up, you it's going to be even more important to to get your fitness right and, and to spot spot these players that are tiring before before they get taken off for a for a breather on the bench. Hmm. I mean, yeah, because I've I've been quite enjoying um watching the watching how teams have been sort of benefiting from it. And um, yeah. do you think like with the the Scotland team as it is? sort of right now or as of last year do you think you'll you'll mm. benefit from that or is it something that you'd have to adapt to yeah um yes yeah, so, so I, th- I think the new rule is 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 something that that's you're gonna have to kind of adapt to and get used to i th- think it's only what are we three or four weeks into the nrl so that i think that they'll probably still adapting and, and and seeing how things can work and seeing what tweaks you can make to it and and what what real changes it's going to make to the game, uh, so it's, it's probably something that you've got to get a, a feel of. Uh, probably looking at in your training sessions to start with to try and see how you you defend it and and if you're on the offensive side when you've got a a back to zero call, what do you do? How how do you play it? So yeah, there's a lot of things to think about. But it, like I say, it's I think it's a really good rule that's been brought in. The last question. Um... Following 
today's announcement of our World Cup training base being in Newcastle, um, what are you looking mm. forward to about the location? Um, for, well, I was lucky enough to do well at school and, uh, and uh, I did spend a couple of years in Newcastle at uni when I was a kid and, and back then it was, a, it was a real fantastic city. I think it it's come on since then. Uh, the All the quayside's been smartened up. There's some really nice areas. <clears throat> I think the the facilities where, where we'll be playing, I think all our games are they can be at Kingston Park, um, which is is just a great facility, uh, albeit it's a four G surface, uh, which, which which I'm thinking potentially uh, plays into our hands a little bit. I don't, I don't think Fiji or Australia, you know, have have the benefit of of playing regular games on four G, whereas our guys have, have probably got a bit more of a feel for that. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's 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 going to be great. It's, it's a great city, uh, plenty of things going on. Uh, yeah, it's great for supporters. You know, if our supporters come down there, obviously you know there's loads of nice bars, restaurants, plenty of stuff to do. So yeah, happy days. Yeah, and 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 finally, I've got the probably the most important question, which we got on Twitter, um, which is, what's your favourite biscuit? <laughs> <laughs> Favorite biscuit? Oh man, um, probably. Man, I'm I'm torn. I'm torn between milk chocolate obnob or Tunnock's caramel wafer. Don't know. Depends what mood I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope that that satisfies whoever asked it on Twitter. <laughs> Um, but so, thank you, thank you so much for taking the time out to do this today, and 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 really thank you for everything you're doing on you know in the wards and sort of you know really keeping us going. Yeah, no worries, James. Yeah. Thank you for joining me for today's episode. Uh, if you want to keep up to date on everything Scotland Rugby League, head over to our social media at Scotland RL, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>